Father God, we sing that song as a prayer. Your Holy Spirit, Father, is welcome in this place. God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to minister in this room where encouragement is needed, Lord. We pray your Spirit would bring encouragement. Maybe where correction is needed, Lord, we pray your Spirit would be correct, bring correction. Father, maybe just where some peace is needed, your Spirit would bring some peace. Father, through the teaching of your Word this morning, would you bring clear instruction to us today? May your Word speak clearly and evidently in this room. Lord, we are not here today by accident, and so we pray and ask that your Spirit would do a work in us because we're here on purpose to hear from you. Father, we just invite you in this place. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Glad to have you here with us this holiday weekend. Please use your connection card and your bulletin, fill that out and place it in the offering basket as they are passed a little bit later. Today, we wrap up our series walking through the book of Ephesians as we've been on a summer journey, and next week we'll begin a new series of messages called All In. But today, let's wrap up Ephesians by turning our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, to me, I think this is the key passage that Paul really deals with in his text in Ephesians 6. As you're turning there, let me just ask you, do you ever feel like in life you are in a constant battle or a constant struggle? What I mean by that is sometimes you go through times of life, you just feel like the kids won't just listen, or the car has another issue, or the project at work seems like it never finishes, it's just over and over and over again, or the boss is continually on your back, or the doctor has brought the bad news, or money struggles never end, or another argument with your spouse, or the AC in your house must be replaced, and you're just tired of being tired. Sometimes... That's how life feels. You could possibly be in that kind of journey right now. And if you're not in that journey right now, it may be coming in the near future where it feels like I'm just in this continual battle after battle after battle. Sometimes life just comes at you. And sometimes it just keeps coming at and you feel like you're in a war. You know why we feel like this? It's because there is... One who is constantly after us. And his name is Satan. Constantly after us. And Paul understood this battle and understood this struggle. You know why we can feel like that? Because Satan, we must get prepared to be ready to stand firm against his way. Any army going into war, no doubtedly, knows their enemy, knows their tactics, knows their strategies and tries to understand and study the enemy as much as possible so that when they wage war against them, they know how to defeat them. There's a battle that's raging war around us in the spiritual realm all the time. And unfortunately, those who are involved in this spiritual battle, many times, most of us don't understand our enemy, Satan, some of the ways that he attacks and comes on us. There has been a war going on ever since the fall of Satan that met many of us in this room may not even be aware of. And the Apostle Paul, as he pens his text in the book of Ephesians, he was well aware of the battle, well aware of the war. 
The Apostle Paul gives us instruction about spiritual warfare that we need to take to heart today. Here's the truth that you and I must understand. There is an unseen world. There's an unseen world that is just as real as this visible world that we live in. Now, I think most believers today tend to accept the reality of those things that we can see, that we can hear, that we can touch, that we can taste, that we can interact with. For instance, the Bible sitting on my desk. I know, hey, that's a Bible because I can see it. Or the clothes that are on my back, I know they're real. Or the roast that is in the oven that's cooking for later today, I know it's real because I can see it, taste it, smell it, touch it. But when it comes to things that are unseen, things that you and I can't touch, things that you and I can't taste, things that we can't feel, we tend to think that those things are not real, and we tend to think that they are lesser of level than reality than the visible world. But nothing could be farther from the truth, according to the Apostle Paul. Look at the text, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Look again at verse 12. As Christians, we struggle against God's enemy. Too many Christians, though I believe, fail to understand that we are engaged in mortal combat. We are in a war that is very real. Do you understand that's going on around us all the time? Look again at the text. Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The warfare we wage is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of weaknesses in the heavenly places. Our struggle is against Satan and his demonic army. Are you aware that that we're in life and death struggle against the demonic powers which operate in this world. Did you know that there is a demonic hierarchy, much like that of a military or a governmental organization, which is even now in place organized to promote the agenda of Satan himself, and it's around us every single day? Many times we don't understand what's going on. See, when our text speaks of rulers and powers and forces, it's referring to the organizational structure of Satan's hierarchy. The word which is translated spiritual forces is equal to cosmocrats. Many, like Professor F.F. F. Bruce, think that these terms refer to the hierarchy of the fallen angel, and one cosmocrat could have been an angel prince of Persia who hindered the angelic messenger sent to Daniel. And you see it in Daniel chapter 10 where it says, Do not be afraid, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. In other words, there was a battle with an evil one. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Just one example where a battle was going on. The demonic cosmocrats of Satan's army are deployed everywhere in our culture. They're real. 
they, They infiltrate every segment of society in the church and outside the church. They have but one purpose, to destroy God's work. They attack in many different kinds of form. They attack God's word directly and indirectly. They attack God's people directly and indirectly. They are after you and your personal walk with God. They are after your family and after your relationships and after your marriage and after your kids because they want to come to kill, steal, and destroy And the Apostle Paul, I think, really grasped this, and that's why he penned these words. Because he felt it so real in his life. They attack through your emotions and through your circumstances. They do not sleep. It's a very real personal struggle. In our own strength, we are overmatched. This invisible world is real. Now, I have a concern in sharing this text with you today. My greatest of fear in approaching this subject today is that you won't take it seriously enough. My greatest concern, church, is that we sometimes get in a habit of coming in and hearing the word proclaimed and hearing a message preached, and we go, that's a good message, preacher. Share some good scriptures today. And we go home and we turn on the football or we eat and we forget about it. And later today, he attacks. Or tomorrow, he attacks. Or Wednesday, he attacks. And you're like, why is this happening to me? Why is things so negative? Why is my job falling apart? Why am I mad at my husband? Why am I mad at my wife? Why, 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 why? It's because he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And what happens is we don't take messages like this seriously. We go, man, he was on fire today. He was really fired up. I don't know what got into him, but boy, he was fired up. And we go home and nothing changes because we don't take it serious enough. So I have a fear today that you're going to hear this and go, okay, good message, preacher. Monday's coming, though. And Tuesday's coming. And Wednesday's coming. And the one that wants to roam around to kill, steal, and destroy, Satan, his demonic powers, wants to kill, steal, and destroy you and me. So how do we get prepared? That's the big question. The big question that Paul deals with, he first warns us and says, listen, there is this attack amongst the spiritual forces of this world. It's not a flesh and blood. And then he says, here's how you prepare for it. Look at your text with me and we continue on in verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes... You may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I think Paul gives us a four-step battle plan to winning life's battles right there. I think he lays out four very strong steps that we can take. One is he says, identify Satan's schemes. In other words, put the glasses on. And look and say, what is Satan doing? How does he work? There is going to come a time, and maybe today, when you realize that you are under attack. Are you ready to identify it? Let let me identify some of Satan's schemes for you, so maybe you'll be a little bit aware. One, he targets your mind. You must protect your mind. And the weapon of attacking the mind typically is the weapon of lies. 
Because he is the father of lies. And his purpose is to make you ignorant to God's will when you're like, well, I think this, I feel that. And many times when you say, I think or I feel, many times those are lies that Satan's throwing at you. And may I warn you, when you start a statement with, I feel, pause for a second. And really evaluate that. Is that a feeling that's coming because of the word of God? Because it's not the word of God, it's a lie. And many times we're directed by what I feel. I feel this, I feel unhappy. I feel, we make many decisions because of feelings. And most of the times feelings are wrong feelings that lead us down the wrong path and they are lies from Satan. Let me give you another scheme. He targets your body. The weapon is suffering. Sickness. Sickness. Now, not every single bit of sickness, do I believe, comes directly from him, but I think a lot of it does. We know this world is full of sickness because it's a broken down, fallen world, and we have stuff in this world because of sin that has entered this world, and this world is falling apart. And when sickness comes your way, he he targets you with suffering, and his purpose is to make you impatient with God's will. God, why is this happening to me? You ever ask that question? God, why am I going through this difficulty? God, why me cancer? God, why me with the car accident? God, why me sick? God, why me? And we get impatient with God. And maybe going through the suffering, we stay patient. And God will train us and teach us. Here's another scheme of his. He targets your will. Targets your will. The weapon is pride. The weapon is when I want things the way I want things. I want things to be done my way and only my way. And his purpose is to make you independent of God's will where you rely upon your will. Things are not going my way. And when things are not going my way, what that is is that's pride that gets in the way instead of saying, I want things to go God's way. And so he targets your will. He also targets your heart and your conscience. It's another way... He schemes. The weapon is accusations, and his purpose is to bring indictment by God's will, which is guilt. He targets your heart to make you feel horrible and terrible, and your conscience to think, I'm this awful, horrible, horrendous, terrible person. May I remind you that in the book of Romans, it says there is nothing that will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But Satan will target your heart to say you're a horrible, terrible person because you did this or because you did that. We must be aware of how he works. Once we're aware, then we get ready for battle. And secondly, he tells us to resist the enemy. See, God doesn't tell us to go on attack. We're not to go out looking for the fight. We're simply to prepare ourselves for the attack, to be aware that it's coming. Picture yourself as a soldier that's standing at the border of the camp where the rest of your army has set up tents for the night and you're on watch duty for the night to protect everybody else. Your job is to stand and watch and only engage the enemy when it comes to attack your camp. You're not going to leave your post and say, well, I'm going to walk away from this where I'm guarding. I'm going to go looking for them. No, you stand and you watch and you protect. So when the enemy comes, you protect all your other soldiers that you're fighting with. Kind of the same way. As a, our job as a Christian in spiritual warfare is to stand guard, to be ready for the attack when the fight comes at us, not to go out looking for it. We're to resist the enemy with the weapons that God has provided for us. Look at it this way. We're standing at the border that surrounds our hearts and minds. 
And one day temptation comes and it comes to threaten us by attacking at the border and we have to set up camp so he doesn't enter into our heart and he attacks through things like sexual temptation or being untruthful and lying or stealing or anger or pride. He attacks and we have to be aware to say, look, he's coming after me. He's coming after my heart. And if we are unprepared for the battle, then the temptation will walk right on past and right into our heart and mind. And then we act upon it. But see, if we're prepared to resist the temptation, we'll do battle. And when we're prepared and we're to do battle, many times we'll win. Many times. It's of vital importance that we are equipped prior to temptation. That we're ready with the Word of God. Because if we're not, then most likely we're going to fail and we'll fall into temptation. It's very true of every spiritual attack we go through. I can resist, though, with God's help. But I must seek that help before the attack begins. Be prepared before it happens. The third step in our battle plan is to stand our ground. See, when the battle is over and the dust has settled... Only an army standing, left standing on the field. The other army lies on the ground, either dead or they have scattered. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee. When we resist, when we stand our ground, Satan has no choice but to retreat. He cannot stand up to a child of God who has equipped himself or herself with the weapons of warfare that God has provided for us. He attacks, we resist, he flees. He will return. He attacks, we resist, he flees. And the more we resist, the less he will attack. And the stronger you will get that when he does come back to attack and you resist, you'll get spiritual muscles, so to speak, like you're not going to win this battle. Many times what we do is just kind of give in and we stay maybe weak in that area or weak in this area. He'll return. The battle will never end. But if we stand our ground and we resist, he will flee. And the more you stand, the better you will be and the stronger you will get. Let me share with you the last step on our battle plan. He says, put on the full armor of God. Most likely... As Paul is writing this text in Ephesus, he's chained or closely watched by a Roman soldier, maybe chained too, and he looks at the armor of the Roman soldier. And he starts to study the armor of the Roman soldier, and he starts to make these spiritual comparison. He's like, you know, they're wearing this battle for physical combat, but boy, there's a whole lot of lessons in there about spiritual combat. And during the time of the 12 seizures, the Roman army would conduct morning inspections. As the inspecting satyrian would come in front of each legionnaire, the soldier would strike his right fist of the armor breastplate that covered his heart. The armor had to be the strongest there in order to protect the heart from the sword thrust and from arrow strikes. They're, they're checking out somewhere around three to 5,000 Men, as they come along, make sure their breastplates were right. As the soldier struck the armor, he would shout out, Integritus, Integritus, which in Latin merely means material wholeness, completeness, and ent- entirety. And the inspecting centurion would listen closely for this affirmation and also for the ring that well-kept armor would give off. It's quite a picture to think about 
of military battle gear, satisfied that the armor was sound and that soldier beneath it was protected, he would then move on to the next man. And they go one man after another man after another man, checking every single man's breastplate to make sure it's right. At, at about that same time, the Praetorians or the imperial bodyguard were ascending into power and into influence and drawn from the best soldier of the legions. They received the finest equipment and, the fine, and, and armor, and they no longer would shout into Greetus to signify that their armor was sound. Instead, they struck their breastplate and they would shout, Hail Caesar! Hail Caesar! to signify that their heart belonged to the imperial personage, not to their unit. No longer to the unit, but to one person. Not an institution, not a code of ideals. They armored themselves to, to, to serve the cause of a single man being Caesar. A century passed and the rift between the legion and the imperial bodyguard and the excess grew larger and larger. To signify the difference between the two organizations, the legionnaire, upon striking his armor, would no longer shout integritus, but would shout integer. Where we get our word integrity from. Integer, undiminished and complete and perfect. It not only indicated that the armor was sound, it also indicated that the soldier wearing the arm, armor was of sound character. He's a person of character. He was complete in his integrity. His heart was in the right place. His standards and his morals were high. He was not associated with the immoral conduct that was rapidly becoming a signature of the Praetorian guards. And the armor of integrity continued to serve the legion well. For four centuries, though, for over four centuries, they held the line against the marauding Goths and the Vandals. But by 383 A.D., the social decline that infected the Republic and the Praetorian Guard had its effects upon the legion. As a fourth century Roman general wrote these words, said, when because of negligence and laziness... Parade ground drills were abandoned. The customary armor began to feel heavy since the soldiers rarely have ever wore it. Therefore, they first asked the emperor to set aside the breastplates and, and mail and then the helmets. So our soldiers fought the Goths without any protection for the heart and head and were often beaten by archers. Although there were many disasters which led to the loss of great cities, no one tried to restore the armor to the infantry. They took their armor and off and... And when the armor came off, so too came their integrity. It was only a matter of a few years until the legion rotted from within and was unable to hold the frontiers. The barbarians were at the gates. We can learn a lesson from the Roman guard about the importance of armor. See, if we're to keep our integrity as Christians, we'll don the armor of God and we will never take it off. But you look at our country and what has happened. We've taken off the armor. And the attacks are coming faster and faster and more and more. And we see the moral decay right before our eyes. And the spiritual decay right before our eyes. Because we've taken off the breastplate of righteousness. Today it could be, I need to put that back on. I need to put it back on. See, what is that armor? God's battle armor. He says truth. Ephesians 6.14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Satan's very first spiritual attack came in the form of deception. He came to Adam and Eve and he persuaded them that God's word to them was not accurate and that they needed to make their own decisions outside of God's will. And he continues to do that today. The truth that we wear as armor 
is that of candor, of sincerity, and of truthfulness rooted in the objectivity of reality of God's Word, but the reference is to more than an intellectual truth. We not only want to know God's truth, we must live in God's truth. And he says, put on the belt of truth where you know it and you live it. In other words, one of my greatest weapons against Satan's attack is to live my life as a person of integrity. Integrity. A person whose word is always true. A person who cannot be rightfully accused of being dishonest in any way, any shape, or any form. And as a person of God, we live as people of integrity. Third John chapter 1 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Let me just ask you, is there some untruthfulness in your life today? Is there something that you're covering up? Something that you're hiding from your spouse, hiding from your boss, hiding from a co-worker? Is there something where you're like, I can't let anybody else know about that. There's something that you're keeping in the dark? Paul would say, bring it to the light. Bring it to the light and live in truth. The weapon of truth is His Word. When I have opened my heart to God and allowed Him to form me and shape me by allowing Him to come to me and transform me, God does something new. We should pray this kind of prayer in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's the kind of prayer of sincerity that says, I want truth to be part of me. So when we live a life of truth, we cannot be deceived by Satan's lies. When we live a life of truth, we'll recognize his lies a whole lot easier. We'll be about God's word. We won't be about ourselves. We'll be about living for God and not for this world. The second part of this armor is righteousness. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth, or on your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place. Those of us who are in Christ have been given the righteousness of God himself. That's what happens in Jesus' death on the cross. And we receive that. We receive his righteousness. When God looks upon us, he sees us free, free from sin because of his Son. There's also a righteousness that we're called to live by, though. It's a righteousness that acknowledges we're pure in Christ, but also that we are going to live our lives under the lordship of Jesus. It's what Lane preached about last week, that we're imitators of Christ, that we see his righteousness and we follow after that and we imitate that. In other words, because we have been made righteous, we will also live righteously. And we won't just take our righteousness in Christ as a license to sin, and we know about Paul's struggle when he said, I do the things I don't want to do. We know we struggle with that, but we should always be pursuing to live righteously. I can't possibly expect to win the battle if I'm going over to the other side now and then to engage in sin. I said, let me just go visit that a little bit and just kind of play around with some of that stuff that's not of God. There's no way we're going to win. When we willfully turn our way for, away from what we know is God's will, we open ourselves up to the demonic attack. For instance... Let me address something I think is running rampant in our culture today. Let's say that I know I like to go out and just drink a little bit extra. And we know that maybe having one drink's okay, but Scripture says don't get drunk. And we know, oh, let me go 
just once here and there. Let me go visit that bar. Let me go to the friend's house. Let me just drink a little extra because it's fun. It feels good. Then I get myself in trouble. But we say, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to do that anymore. But then, oh, a couple of weeks later, well, let me go a little bit more and do that again. And every time we go and visit the enemy's camp of drunkenness, it's going to be harder to resist and harder to fight it off. But when you start resisting and saying, I'm not going to participate because I know I go too far and I stay away from it, then you're going to be stronger in that area of life. Some people have asked me before, Brian, do you drink? I don't drink. Not because I think one beer is a sin, but because I know that my family has, has had alcoholism in its past. And I resist that in my life because I don't want it to become part of my life. It's like a good football or basketball team. They find the other team's weakness and exploits them. It's kind of like Michigan did to Florida yesterday. Now, come on now. And Kentucky won yesterday. They're off to a good start. Now, that should get an amen. Come on now, you Kentucky people. Satan looks for your weakness and he tries to exploit your weakness. And when you know your weakness, then stand firm and say, I'm not going to go into my areas of weakness. I'm going to choose righteousness. If I decide today that I'll live my life like Jesus lived his life, I'll be armed against those kind of attacks. A third part of our armor is peace. Look at verse 15. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It seems like kind of strange to tell someone engaging in battle to put on peace, but that's exactly what our weaponry that we need. It's, you'll notice that the peace he refers to is a peace that comes from the good news of Jesus Christ. On one hand, we could say that this is the peace that we share with others, but I think it's more, what is more meant here is he's talking about doing battle from the perspective of one who lives in peace or in contentment, as Paul says in in Philippians 4, when he says to live in contentment, to know whether you're in good or, or plenty, whether you are in difficult times or great times, to learn to live in contentment, a place of, of peace. No matter what Satan throws your way, no matter what challenge you may face, our way we have a peace is it comes from knowing that we're secure in our relationship with Jesus Christ and that there's nothing that can attack us that will change that. Our victory has already been won at the cross. And we stand firm resisting everything else. We resist everything else that the devil can throw at us because we have that peace that surpasses all understanding that's in Christ Jesus. Now some of you are thinking, Brian, there are six parts of this armor and you're going to keep going. I'm going to challenge you to go on your own. The whole armor. He talks about the shield of faith. He talks about the helmet of salvation talks about the Word of God and how important that is in your life. I don't have enough time to dig in all those today. I challenge you to do that. You can open your Scriptures and say, what's this mean, the shield of faith? What does this mean, the, the Word of God? What does this mean, the helmet of salvation? Those are more parts of the battle armor that we have that Paul says, put these on. Wear these in your life. God has objectively defeated Satan in his agenda. I encourage you, church, don't take this message lightly. Don't allow this message on this Labor Day weekend and go, okay, get lost and I got a day off of work and I get to do a cookout later today or tomorrow. 
Don't let it get caught lost in just the haphazardness of just coming to church and going home. He has delivered us from sin's penalty and power and ultimately will deliver us from sin's very presence. But in the interim, we are involved in guerrilla warfare with demonic forces. We're in a battle. Next time you're mad at your wife, next time you get mad at your husband, your battle's not against flesh and blood. Stop and call it what it is and say, Satan, get out of my marriage. The next time you're at work and your boss jumps down your back and chews you up, don't get mad at your boss. Call it what it is. Satan's coming after you. And extend grace and love and patience to your boss. Don the armor of righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. Put on peace. As believers, we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light with all the rights and the privileges and position of being a child of God that entails. The spiritual battle we fight involves a responsibility on our part to put on the spiritual protection that God has provided for us. It's up to you and I. It is a choice whether we put on that armor. And my hope and my prayer, church, is that you will equip yourself today and keep your eyes open, ready for the battles that may come this week.